How is everybody? Are we ready for school to start? Parents, grandparents, guardians? School like in the old wineskin? Who's, who's excited for the challenge this fall? Who's not excited for the challenge this fall but needs prayer? Okay, three quarters of the audience, praise the Lord. Um, what an honor it is to, to welcome you again to the outdoor gathering. Um, and those watching online, can you just shout on the count of three and say we love you to those who are joining us uh, digitally? One, two, three. We love you. It's just an honor to welcome you wherever you're watching, around the nation, around the world. And those who are here, those online, why don't you guys shout right now, we love you. Those in person, one, two, three. Amen. Okay. Somebody shouted, I love you. Someone's a rule follower on the other end of these cameras. Amen. Well, hey, um, I have been sitting on this, this message for quite some time. I've made little videos here and there that unpack some of its dynamics. But I look back at the tape at the original date, and I never shared it. I have no clue why, but, um, but uh, here we go this morning. So open your Bibles up, up to Exodus chapter 17. Um, I, I call this message, Scroll, Altar, Banner. Scroll, Altar, Banner. Say that with me. Scroll, Altar, Banner. And my punchline for the talk today is called The Ultimate Recipe for Victory. Who wants to live a victorious, overcoming life? Seven of you. Praise the Lord. The rest of you, who wants to live a victorious, overcoming life? Well, praise God. We know that suffering's involved. We know there's great adversity. We know... No question, life is difficult, so none of those things get checked at the door just because you seek first the kingdom. But when you do life God's way, whatever you face, God will make a way in and through that way, and you'll be an overcomer. And even in the greatest fire and test, instead of becoming critical, bitter, crusty, angry, you can actually get better. You can become more pure, more vibrant, more alive. That's the only way, that's what's so beautiful and unique about the kingdom of God that you can throw, throw, throw us into the fire and one will stand with us, whether in this age or the next, who will not uh, turn us away. And so this is an amazing story. Just a little bit of background. If you know your Bible even a little bit, you've probably heard of uh, Pharaoh. You've probably heard of Let My People Go. Say amen if you've heard that old song. God has just rescued a people for himself, the descendants of, of Abraham and Jacob and uh, he's delivered them. He's delivered them through the Red Sea. He's released 10 plagues of judgment against the false gods of Egypt, judging them. And he delivers his people through the Red Sea. Moses lifts up his staff and the waters that are uncrossable become dry ground. And God leaves his people in great deliverance. And up to this point in Exodus, we find in this brief wilderness journey the enemy that Israel's had to face is an internal enemy. Some of their old cravings are coming back. They miss some of the food that they had in slavery. They're, they're, they're grumbling, complaining that Moses may not have the chops to lead them all the way into the promise. Man, I, every time I feel like leadership is hard, I just read Moses and just get a fresh wind in my sails and think, this dude, they were ready to kill him at like, day one on the job as a leader of the community of God's people. So I'm in good company. Not that any of you wants to kill me or drive me off a cliff, but they're complaining. You know, we're talking hundreds of thousands, yay, you know, maybe a couple million of people. I mean, what a task to lead a bunch of ex-slaves who'd spent 400 plus years in 
being formed in the way of slavery and transaction and do this and don't do that. And here they are learning how to live in the freedom that God has given them. But man, it's tough sledding. And so God has provided manna in the wilderness, this, this heavenly bread that rains down each day, double portion before the Sabbath. Um, even when they complained, he, he let the quail fly in by the wind, and that was not a good experiment. Um, that's why I don't eat quail, because um, they complained that they wanted meat. Just read the story. And then right before our passage here, they're, they're thirsty. You know, in the wilderness, there's not exactly vibrant sources of water. And so when you're thirsty, it's like an, a whole other level of being hangry. When you're thirsty and on that verge of feeling like you're going to die, I mean, who you really are is going to come out in that moment. Amen? You know, when all of your trappings and all of your, the lust of the flesh and desires, when you're just left with you in that taste place of testing and great adversity and difficulty, we see, Deuteronomy 8, that the wilderness was God's invitation for that which was inside of God's people to bubble to the surface so we could know what was inside of them. How many feel like you've been in that kind of season during coronavirus, that the difficulty, the, the challenges, the adversities, who we really are is coming to the surface, but praise the Lord today for fresh grace and for the mercies that meet us each morning. Amen. And for the love that just never stops coming after us, revealed through the gospel of Jesus. So God tells Moses to strike, to speak to the rock, strike the rock. That's our context. Water has just flown, flowed from a rock. That's the context. So in our passage, starting in verse 8, this is the first external enemy. This is the first um, group of people who have met the children of Israel, freshly rescued from slavery, on their way into the promised land. This is the first group of people to meet them not so favorably. And I want you to know we are in a great battle in this hour. Amen. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, powers, principalities in the heavenly realms. Amen. But people come into agreement with principalities and powers. Amen. That's why it's so difficult. Come on, can I just talk honestly? This is not in the notes. It's difficult. The, the battle is higher, but people are energized and in, in, in agreement with principalities and powers. So it's easy to confuse my enemy when I, when I face him or her. Can I get a witness or am I the only person? And so the, the rules of engagement can get tricky when we realize that the ultimate battle is in a, in a higher reality. But here, and as usually we see in the Old Testament, we see an enemy uh, be, taking on skin, manifesting as a people. So the Amalekites, verse 8, came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Ur went to the top of the hill. As I said, this is the first external barrier, the first external en enemy that Israel faces on their way to their inheritance. The Amalekites were a nomadic people. They didn't, they kind of, they, they roamed through the desert places. They're descended from Esau. And if you remember your Bible story, Esau was the brother of Jacob. So they had bit, sort of a built-in criticism because Esau was the older son, but it was Jacob that received the, the, the inheritance and the blessing. Amen. So, so, so the Amalekites kind of had this chip on their shoulder from their very inception. Like, why didn't God pick us? Why aren't we 
on God's team? Why, why aren't the promises for us? Oddly, the promises were for them by virtue of God fulfilling his promise to Abraham, but that's a different story. So this is a critical, bitter, nomadic people who have it out for God's people. They're outside of the covenant blessing, although God in blessing Jacob would bless the world. And they show up a year later in, in the biblical story when the 12 spies come back and report the promised land and the two say we can take it, 10 say it's too difficult, and guess who they go out to fight and lose a year later in the wilderness, the Amalekites. So this is an enemy that doesn't just approach them once, they will face them again. Come on, am I talking to anybody who faces battles and you're like, I feel like I've seen you before. Difficulty, adversity, I feel like I've been here. Welcome to the journey of faith. That's why this, this message is called the ultimate recipe for victory. How many times do you cook a recipe? Well, if it's good and this is a good recipe, you cook it all the time. You always got to eat. And see, these are the Amalekites. Later, God tells Saul to totally destroy them, but he leaves the king alive. David has to deal with them. And then finally, hundreds of years later, they're finally definitively defeated through Hezekiah from David's seed. But we see they're the first ones to oppose God's plans and purposes in the wilderness. And not only <clears throat> did they meet God's people in opposition, they were, they, were, they were cheapskates. They were charlatans. They were known for kind of attacking the, the scragglers, the, the, the widows, the children. Come on, somebody. We serve an enemy who's out to destroy, to steal, kill, and destroy. We're in a battle. We're in a fight of faith. The battle is real. Turn to your neighbor and say, the battle, it really is real. Not to be afraid, but it's true to acknowledge it like we've talked about. What's interesting is that God did not tell Moses one time to fight Pharaoh. I want you to know that the glory of the gospel is that initial fight to be rescued from sin. There is one who is fully capable to deliver the one who puts their faith in Jesus Christ to be saved, healed, set free, and delivered. Moses was never commanded, when you go to Pharaoh, you're going to fight him. So get your army ready. I want you to hear this, church. The glory of the gospel is that one has fought for us and definitively won, right? By becoming sin on the cross, by being raised in glory. Being vindicated and validated as God's royal son. But I want you to know that along after being rescued from, from sin, there are all sorts of battles that the believer will face in their life. That ultimate battle has been won, but unless you show up with your strapped up and ready to roll, ready to go, engaged, you will find yourself in a world of trouble if you're not aware that, yes, he's the one who rescued us once, but there is a part for you and I to play, to maintain, and to walk and sustain victory and breakthrough. And so here, Israel, this is the first time, like Joshua, he's like, what? Get some dudes. It's time to go to battle. They haven't had a battle yet because God fought for them. Come on, somebody. Maybe, maybe you haven't lived with the revelation that you're in a battle, but it's time to sign up and to step in. You may have been able to coast thus far the blessing of, of, of our nation, but that there is a time and a place for God's people to know who they are in Christ and to step in and to engage with faith, humility, confidence, boldness, and love. Joshua, get some guys ready. Okay. 
I love this. This one commentator said this. Both elements were involved. The sword in Joshua's hand and the staff in Moses' hand. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility and partnership. Say that with me. God is on his throne. He reigns and rules over all. He is the victorious, conquering, soon-coming king. And he's looking for participants. Say and. And is the key word. He's victorious. Amen. And we partner with his victory by stepping in and engaging, by being present to his presence. We're going to get there. Verse 11, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Ur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So, verse 13, Joshua overcame the Amalekites, the army, with the sword. And have you ever been on a battle like this, where all of a sudden you are fighting, whether it's the battle of purity or the battle of no compromise or the battle of humility? Come on, what's your battle? I don't know what your battle is, but have you ever found yourself engaged in the battle and you grew weary along the way, or am I the only one? Beloved, for the battle that's ahead, we are going to need an Aaron and Ur in our life. We're not, we don't, yes, I report to our district, but I could, I could honestly care less who knows about how many participants. I just want everyone involved in some sort of battle-ready group in the days ahead of the fall. However we get there, whether it's a class, a house group, a small group, a Zoom group, I don't care. It's, it's, for, it's not for my sake or that sake or that sake. It's for your sake. It's for our sake to be victorious. We need an Aaron and Ur because there are times and seasons when our arms grow weary. Can I get an amen? And we need each other because, beloved, our appeal is not ultimately to man. It's to God, the God of the victory, the God of the battle. But God engages and actualizes that victory through human partnership. Make the appeal to the Lord. As long as his hands were raised, victory. When he grew tired, come on somebody, how many know that you are an integrated being, spirit, soul, minded body? Do you think God wants to speak to an issue? I, I was thinking of this yesterday metaphorically. Let's pretend that each of the dynamics of your person are a window. Your mental, emotional health, your physical health, your relational health, your, your spiritual health, those are, what would you see outside of that window? I don't know if that connects with you, but I thought of it yesterday. Like, what's the picture you see outside that window? How are you doing? Listen, there's times and seasons when a part of our person is weak or tired. The enemy knows how to step in and to engage us in that place of weakness. We need to be both God-aware and self-aware. Are you hearing me? God-aware and self-aware, we have to understand, okay, I'm weak, I'm weary, I'm tired. Not the time to binge on Netflix, the time to push away, to carve out some space for silence. We have to learn how to, how to operate out of rhythms that regenerate and restore and revive life instead of suck, demean, and diminish life. We're integrated beings. And here Moses is aware of the weariness, and he pulls in a brother or sister and if you're in a battle and your arms are fading, 
or faltering, it's time to call the brother or sister to your left or your right. I beseech you today. Then, verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. And make sure that Joshua hears it. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. And so here we see the very first time ever, if you read your Bible, that God tells a person to write something down. Have you ever heard of that principle? The, 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 the come on, help me out. The rule of first consequences, absent, help me some. The law of first mentions, thank you. The law of first mentions, I, it does, thank you. Praise God. It's significant that it's right here God says, okay, write that one down. Come on, how many know that God wants you to begin to write down those things he does in and through your life so that when you face it again, you'll be able to look back and remember, oh yeah, he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. Moses, write this one down. Write it down for Joshua's sake. Amen. He's going to think that it was just his sword that won the battle and his youthful zeal. He needs to understand that I need a battle strategy and a hilltop strategy, and they're meant to work in unison and partnership. Come on, somebody. You may not feel like you're a Joshua generation. I'm not, it's not my task to go and to engage hand-to-hand. I'm past that. My, my time is past. Well, then you've got an assignment on the hill. If you're not in the field, you're on the hill. If you're not on the field, hill, you're in the field. And it'll be back and forth, back and forth. But you need to step in for God's sake in this hour into your place for the battle because the battle belongs to him, but he always looks for partners to partner with to actualize the victory that Christ has made available. And so he says, write it down. Write it on a scroll as something to be remembered. And you might ask, well, what, why would he write this one down? Because from this day forward, yes, I rescued you from Egypt. That was me. I mean, yeah, you had to partner with, you know, sacrificing the Passover lamb. And there's, there was a partnership. I understand that. But I delivered you. <laughs> but the Lord's like, from here on out, forever, Here's how, we're, here's how things are going to work. My power, my provision, my purposes and plans, and your partnership. Your participation. My power, my plans, my provision, my purposes, and your partnership and participation. Write this one down. Who won the battle? Was it really Joshua's sword or was it the dude who held the staff up with his two buddies? Exactly. Right? How many, how many want to live in that sweet tension of, well, how much does he need me? Well, I'd rather think he actually chooses to include me than sit bored and distraught on the sideline and think, oh, God will just figure out the mess. No, he's looking for partners in the battlefield and on the hilltop. 
And so many of us, we're bored or we're weighed down and we, we terminate the affection and, and appetites in our heart for way lesser things because we don't understand there is an assignment, a task, and a plan that's got your, your beautiful name on it that the Lord's like, I want you to engage with me in this place. And he says, write this one down because every battle, past, present, and future will be won the same way. The same way. God's promise and power and human participation. This is how God is going to win the battle. Look how the story ends in closing. Scroll, altar, banner. I was reading uh, some research by a guy called Daniel M. And he wrote, you know, they, they interviewed thousands of believers and church leaders and pastors and all this stuff. Lifeway research, you can go do your own homework. Um, it's like, what, were the, what, are, what, are the, what are the key ingredients to help people to walk and to flourish in their walk with Jesus? And this list will not shock you at all. It's as unshocking as ever, but yet it still is out there as an invitation to actually walk in it. How does a believer, how do a church, how do people overcome and flourish in their faith? Number one, they are actively involved with the scriptures on a daily basis and weekly basis. How many know that we need the word in this hour? The scriptures, the Bible, to become a people of the word. That should have been clear. It's been clear for years and years. But, man, if that thing has dust or if that app, like the new iOS, it, 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 if you try to save storage on your new devices, they'll actually uninstall them. If your Bible app has a little cloud that needs to be downloaded again, it's time to hit the cloud. We need to become a people who live out of a different narrative, of a different story, with a different purpose, a different king, a different promise, a different plan. The story of God's redemptive love revealed in and through his son, Jesus Christ. So why the scroll? Write it on a scroll. Then he built an altar. Then he raised a banner. And here's why. This is just a practice I've walked in for 20 years, and I hope to do it another 40 years. Because the word is meant to lead us to a place of remembrance and revelation of who God is, what he has done, and what he promises to do. How many believe that's what the Bible can do for us? Who God is, what he's done, and what he promises to do. The word, the scroll, is meant to lead us to a place at the altar of surrender. Yes, Lord, who you are, what you've done, what you promised to do. Here I am. I surrender on the altar. I'm humbly reliant upon you in all and for all things, no matter the season, circumstance, or situation. The scroll is meant to lead us to the altar. Come on, somebody. The Bible is not just good news or neat facts or doctrine, dogma, and the like. It's an invitation into the very story of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so there's, here's the recipe for victory. The scroll leads you to the altar. I made a few videos that I'm unashamed to go check out on our YouTube and Facebook. I gave a simple plan. And I'll show you another one this week because maybe it didn't connect with your heart. There's a lot of ways to grow in the Word. But the whole time I read my Bible for 20 years, I'm talking to the one who wrote it. I'm, I'm, I'm having a conversation. I'm, I'm getting caught up in the story. I'm asking questions. I'm turning verses and promises into prayers and proclamations. Come on, somebody. 
the scroll is meant to lead you to the altar where there is an interaction between the human and the divine. There's a partnership. There's language exchange. There's, there's secret shared. There's revelation given. The, the scroll is meant to lead us to the altar of humble reliance upon God. Are you tracking with me? And so he says, write it on a scroll. And then he built an altar. And I love this was a good one. He called the altar, the Lord is my banner. Here's the revelation that I just pondered on. You think of altars, you think of a place of kneeling, of sacrifice, of humility. And here's what I love. He called the altar, the banner. The lower you go in humble reliance on God, the higher he can lift you for his purposes. The altar was called, the Lord is my banner. The altar was called, the Lord is my banner. Come on, the altar was called, the Lord is my banner. The lower we go, realizing, God, this is how you work from beginning to end. Your power, presence, provision, promise, plan, and purpose, and my humble, reliant participation, and yet somehow you choose to include me in your victory kingdom operation. He's like, you better believe it. I choose to include you. I love you. You have a part in my story. You matter. Say it with me. The scroll leads to the altar which leads to the banner. Ultimately, worship and adoration. Thank you, Lord. Come on, how many have ever praised themselves into victory? You've, you've spent time in the Word. You turned it into prayer. Then you just begin to praise and say, Lord, I'm believing all of my kids will be saved. Come on, somebody. I'm believing the diagnosis will not end as the doctor said. I'm believing that that estranged, strife-filled relationship will be reconciled through the grace of Christ. What are you believing for today? The scroll leads to the altar, which leads to the banner. The lower we go, the higher we go in Christ. Come on, somebody, say amen to that. And then lastly, you know, I think Moses, no one, how many believe that Numbers 12, 3, that there was never a more humble person on the planet than Moses? No one no one knew God like Moses in the, old, in the Old Covenant, face to face. To the prophets, he spoke in riddles, but to Moses, he just, hey, Moses, how's it going? Good, Yahweh. How are you? That was supposed to be sort of a joke. Thank you for laughing in the front row. Unprecedented for his generation, for his time. No one knew God like Moses. And yet Moses by naming this altar, the banner pointed to a day hundreds, thousands of years later when one would stand as a banner on a hill, ultimately securing <laughs> victory. How many know Isaiah saw a, a banner that would be raised that all the nations would stream to and rally under the banner of Jesus Christ? The, unlike having Aaron and Ur buddies on his right and left, our king hung on a pole alone, surrounded by common criminals. And as he hung there, absorbing, becoming, bearing our sins in his body, he made a way for ultimate victory unto the end of the age for his people. The Lord, he called that altar, the Lord is our banner, but Jesus Christ has hung on the hill over the ultimate battle. And through his death, resurrection, and now the access we have to him by the Holy Spirit, you and I can live 
caught in the draft of Christ's perpetual victory if we'll stay in step. Like we sang from Lance's new song, where you go, I go, where you stay, I'll stay, how you pray, I'll pray, right? Come on. Jesus only did what he saw the Father do. How many believe that that is the recipe for victory, the scroll, the altar, and the banner? And unlike Moses, Jesus, our chief intercessor and mediator, never grows tired or weary. And it says this in Hebrews chapter 7. Jesus Christ lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. He's able to save, one translation says, to the uttermost. Say that with me. To the uttermost. As if just being saved to the littlemost isn't good enough. But to the uttermost. Say it with me. To the uttermost. Jesus Christ can save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Because he always lives to intercede for them. Christ's position as the exalted at the right hand of God means complete and total access to the stream and flow of God's perpetual victory, abundance, provision, power, blessing, love, and every other acronym and adjective that is wrapped up in who Jesus Christ is. Nothing can separate us from his love. He tore the veil. And now you and I can walk in this story. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what battle you're facing. But I know the victory in that battle. It's called the scroll, the altar, and the banner. Becoming a people of his word. People of humble posture, reliance upon God. And who live that lifestyle who worship in spirit and truth. Because our God has promised he is faithful and he will do it. Amen. Why don't you stand on your feet with me? Say it again. The scroll, the altar, the banner. The scroll, the altar, the banner. The word, prayer, and worship. <laughs> oh yeah, together. How many need an Aaron and Ur in their life today? Raise your hand. I can't stress it enough. I, my goals are very, they're big, but they're very focused this fall that everyone has an Aaron and Ur. That you know how to engage with the scripture where your heart comes alive on a regular basis. That you're going to grow in confidence about how to have a relationship with the Lord in prayer. That worship will be the most natural expression of your life because you're walking in the victory Christ has made available. And they're doing that with others. <laughs> the scroll, the altar, and the banner. How many are thankful that the Lord is our banner? Come on, say that with me. The Lord is our banner. I don't know how you need to respond, but just ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Spirit, search me and know me today. Search me and know me today. Father, I pray that you would release a hunger. Did you know that Romans 15 says that everything that was written in the Scriptures was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Father, I pray that our people, whether watching online or here in person, that, Lord, we would become pregnant with hope because we're people of the word, people of the scroll. And then, Father, I pray that the, alt, that the scroll, the word, would lead us to an altar lifestyle of perpetual reliance and sacrifice, surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Lord said this in Luke 18, he told them a parable that they should always pray and never give up. Come on, how many, how many know always means always? Look at that. 
and not give up. How many have been tempted to give up in this season but say, you know what, Chatty, I want a fresh baptism of hope to not give up, to not grow weary, to shrink back. Come on, lift your hands. Begin to call on the name of the Lord today. And then thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumph procession. And he uses us to spread the aroma of his glory everywhere we go. Father, I pray for a hunger for your word to be deposited in the hearts of your people. So much is uncertain in this fall season, but Lord, we have complete ability to choose where we will focus, what we will invest in. And I pray for a grace to come upon your people in this hour to become a people of your word. Father, I pray that the word would lead us to an encounter at an altar of surrender, of, of interaction, of friendship and partnership as we learn to humbly rely on you in all things and for all things. And then, Lord, I pray that you would use us this fall season to be a worshiping people that spread the aroma of Christ's glory and knowledge, that we would be those not on that mountain or this mountain, but they worship the Father in the spirit and truth wherever they're planted, wherever they go in the name and nature of Jesus Christ. Father, would you come and just minister to our people today? Father, I pray for tangible steps unto victory as it pertains to the scroll, the altar and the banner. And we thank you, Lord, that as we're engaged in this battle, that there is one who is reigning and ruling at the highest office over all of creation, the man Christ Jesus. And that man calls us his friends. <laughs> I pray for that revelation of being a friend of Jesus, a son or a daughter of the Father, a house and a temple of the Holy Spirit, but I pray it doesn't just hit individuals. I, I pray it hits our community. I pray it hits communities. The victory and what is made available to us in Christ today. In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen and amen. Let's give him a shout this morning. Hallelujah.